Today on Abounding Grace, see what will help you finish your race strong. All these men and women filled with faith, with less than you and I have today. They didn't have the Bible. They didn't have technology. They didn't have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. They didn't have the baptism of the Holy Spirit. They didn't have the explanation of the new covenant. But they had faith, <laughs> and faith got them through. And friend, the Lord wants you to remind you today, faith will get you there. Your trust in God will get you to the finish line. God will meet you in your trust and get you to the finish line. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You We're looking forward to our time together with you as we open Hebrews chapter 11 on Abounding Grace. The Bible often refers to the Christian life as a race, and at times the race is difficult, and you may feel like you can't keep going. But we'll learn today that our trust in God is what will help us reach the finish line, just as Joseph did. Pastor Ed Taylor has an eye on Hebrews 11.22, where Joseph is remembered for some of his final words. Would you take your Bibles and open them to Hebrews chapter 11 and Genesis chapter 50, 5-0. Hebrews chapter 11, Genesis chapter 50 in a Bible study that I've entitled, By Faith, Joseph Commanded, Take My Bones. That was the episode that is highlighted in Joseph's life here in chapter 11. Now, for us today, there is no other way to live life in Christ than by faith. There's no other way to be saved, no other way to enjoy God, no other way to live our lives except by faith. That's why there's so much thrown your way to discourage you, to distract you, to cause you to doubt the Word of God. I mean, it's just coming on every angle. We know what Jesus said. Jesus said that he would build his church and that the gates of hell would not prevail against it. And we always take that positive angle. Yes, the, the gates of hell will not prevail. We are strong. God is for us. He's building the church. But we are living in a day. We are living in a season where we are experiencing in a very real way a heightened awareness of the attack upon the church of Jesus Christ upon you as a believer to distract you, to harm you, discourage you, to ultimately take you out. And like to Eve in the Garden of Eden, the devil has a habit. It's a familiar habit of whispering or even shouting to us the exact same things that he told Eve in Genesis chapter 3 verse 1. Remember what he said? Let me give you just a little phrase that you hear constantly. Has God indeed said. Over and over and over again, you and I are tested with that very question. Did God really mean what he said? I mean, look at your circumstances, Ed. Look what you're going through. Look at what you're feeling. Look what they did. Look how that's happening. Did God really say 
And if I'm not careful, I'll start listening to the lies of the enemy. And anytime I start listening to the lies of the enemy, enemy, I am more prone to believe the lies of the enemy. And when I find myself in a place believing the lies of the enemy, my faith is gone. And I'm no longer trusting God with that situation, but rather I'm trusting someone or something else. Since faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God, if I fail to trust God at His Word, I'm sunk. If we fail to trust God at His Word, we are sunk, church. It's over. And that's where the first century believers here, Jewish believers, they're at a tipping point in their life. They're at a tipping point of all their experiences. Through Judaism, they were taught, look for the Savior, look for the Messiah. Each time the blood was shed, it spoke of a greater blood. Through all the sacrifices, all the worship, all the pomp, all the circumstance was pointing to the coming of Messiah. Jesus comes on the scene and declares himself to be the Savior of the world, the fulfillment of God. John the Baptist, he looks at him and says, this is the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. And some of those Jewish men and women left Judaism and embraced the fulfillment of all that they hoped for. They became Christ followers. They became disciples of Christ. They became believers. In our, our day and age, you would call them Christians, but they paid a high price. They lost everything for the cause of Christ, literally. They lost their friends. They lost their family. They lost their inheritance. They lost their possession. They lost their standing in their community. They lost everything. Oh, what they gained was far greater than what they lost. But you know as well as I do, as we begin to measure the future gain compared to the loss today, it can overwhelm a person. And they began to think about going backwards. They're at a tipping point. Should I go forward or should I go backward? Should I endure or should I neglect this such a great salvation? And that's where this letter comes in that we've been studying now for many, many weeks, the letter to the Hebrews. It's pastoral in nature, although the first part of it is very theological, filled with theological truth. With the heart of the pastor, I believe the author, Paul, even though there's debate over that, writes with strong conviction, both theologically and practically, to this challenge group. And for the first 10 chapters, over and over and over again, the same message was repeated a different way. Jesus is better. No matter how you measure, no matter what you look at, Jesus is better compared to everything in your life. He is the fulfillment of all the promises of God. You have made the right decision in following him. He's better, he's better, he's better. Then chapter 11 becomes an application chapter. It's a chapter on faith because you may come to the conclusion, okay, I believe you, Jesus is better. I want to go forward, but I don't know how. And chapter 11 says, this is how. It's always been this way, it's this way now, and it will be this way for the rest of your life until you see Jesus face to face. We live by faith. And if you choose to go backwards still, if you choose to neglect such a great salvation, and you want to go backwards, you're going to have to go backwards past all of these people. If you want to go backwards, you're going to have to talk to Abel along the way, where he learned to worship by faith. You're going to have to pass by not only Abel, but you're going to have to pass by Enoch, where he walked with God. You're going to have to talk to him. You want to go backwards? You're going to have to face Enoch. You're going to have to face Noah. 
By faith, Noah built the ark. Never saw a drop of rain in his life, but he obeyed God. You're going to have to go past Abraham. You're going to have to go past Sarah. You're going to have to go past Isaac. You're going to have to go past Jacob. Today, you're going to have to go past Joseph. All these men and women filled with faith, with less than you and I have today. They didn't have the Bible. They didn't have technology. They didn't have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. They didn't have the baptism of the Holy Spirit. They didn't have the explanation of the new covenant. But they had faith. (laughs) And faith got them through. And friend, the Lord wants to remind you today, faith will get you there. Faith will get you there. Your trust in God will get you to the finish line. God will meet you in your trust and get you to the finish line. And this is his conclusion. Now, chapter 11 actually doesn't really end, if you notice in verse 40. The conclusion of chapter 11 actually isn't verse 40. It goes on, if you're going to pass all these, and we're going to get to other people besides Joseph, we're going to get to Moses' parents, we're going to look to Moses, we're going to look to Joshua, we're going to look to Rahab, we're going to have all these other people that aren't even named, of whom the world was not worthy, and and yet it doesn't end in chapter 11. If you want to go backwards, you're going to have to go through Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith. The one who endured. All of these true stories of men like you and me, men and women like you and me are great. But you've got to look to Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith. You've got to keep looking at Jesus. You've got to keep, you've got to stare at him. You've got to stare at him so long that your eyes get dry. And you want to start blinking so much because you won't take your eyes off of him. And faith will get you through. Notice in verse 22 now as we come to Joseph. It says, by faith Joseph, when he was dying, made mention of the departure of the children of Israel and gave instructions concerning his bones. That's what Joseph is, of all the episodes in life of Joseph, this is what he gets into the hall of faith for. His final words as he's dying. As he's dying, he's not laying hands in blessing like we see his dad or his grandpa. As he's dying, he's got a couple of words to share. Number one, he mentions the departure. And number two, he mentions his bones. This is what I want you to do with my bones. Don't leave my bones in Egypt. And he said that by faith. Now come back to Genesis chapter 50, 50, and let's pick up in verse 15. Now more, more of Genesis is dedicated to the life of Joseph than anything in anyone else. That's how important he is. Now Joseph in and of himself is a very strong encouragement to us of all the things he faced and all the things he went to, through. But Joseph is simply a type of Jesus Christ. He's a type of the greater one to come, as we'll see through this time. When you see Joseph, when you watch what he endured, he also points you to the one that will come, a type and a picture of Jesus. And we know that up to this point, Joseph has been separated from his family through a series of horrific decisions. And now in chapter 50, his dad dies. His dad dies. And in verse 15, his brothers are afraid. And it makes sense. Notice with me in verse 15, Genesis 50. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, perhaps Joseph will hate us and may actually repay us for all the evil which we did to him. So they sent messengers to Joseph saying, 
Before your father died, he commanded, saying, Thus you shall say to Joseph, I beg you, please forgive the trespass of your brothers and their sin, for they did evil to you. Now please forgive the trespass of your servants of God, of your father. And Joseph wept when they spoke to him. And then his brothers also went and fell down before his face, and they said, Behold, we are your servants. Many years have passed now since the family of Joseph arrived in Egypt. Remember, a famine hit the land. And Jacob said, I heard there's food in Egypt. And he sent his sons to Egypt to buy grain so that they wouldn't die. But it was all a setup from God. The famine, really, if you look at the life of Joseph, it was all something that God had behind the scenes. And now many years later, Jacob has finally died. And you can think that this would finally be the episode in time where Joseph can get back at his brothers. I mean, after all, there's a little bit of that in us, in all of us, to think, okay, I've waited long enough. The opportunity has come. All the hurt, all the pain. Let's just consider for a moment the hurt and pain that Joseph went through. Joseph was just a kid, highly favored by his dad, of no fault of his own. His dad loved him more than his others. That was a fault of the dad. But it wasn't Joseph's fault. And because of that special favor of his dad, because of that special favor of his dad, his brothers, it says three times in one section, hated him. They hated him. There was great, significant jealousy and sibling rivalry in this family. His brothers were not the best sort. A couple of them raped and murdered. It was, it was a bad, difficult, dysfunctional family. And because of their hatred toward Joseph, they came up with a plan, a conspiracy to kill him. But cooler heads prevailed, and instead of killing him, they threw him in a pit to die. And still yet, cooler heads prevailed. And instead of leaving him in the pit, they got him out of the pit. And I'm sure Joseph thought, okay, finally, it's enough. It's enough. Let's go home. Instead of going home, they saw these Ishmaelite slave traders coming, and they sold their brother. They literally sold their brother for money, for silver, as a slave, in every sense of that word. And he heads into Egypt, and he gets sold again to a man by the name of Potiphar. Potiphar was a high official in Egypt. And again, coming out of the pit, looks like, I'm good. looks like things are getting better, they get worse. You traveling there in shackles as a slave, you brought to this slave market, you're bought by a high official, and it looks like perhaps, I know things are bad, but we're going to make the best of it. And he comes into Potiphar's house, and he is so well, God is with him, the Bible says, he's so trusted that Potiphar allows him to oversee all of his house. Very rich, successful, high-level official in Egypt. But Potiphar has a missus. You know what her name is? Mrs. Potiphar. We don't know what her name is. Mrs. Potiphar. She sees young Joseph and his attractiveness, and she attempts to have sexual relations with him. And he refuses, and he says no. Well, this infuriates as she day after day was throwing herself upon Joseph. Infuriates her. She accuses Joseph of rape. Her husband believes her, throws him in prison. And once again, Joseph is paying the price of that initial hatred of his brothers. 
And there he is in prison, forgotten. And I know we always try to look at the situation and see the best in it, but he was in a deep prison in shackles. Yes, God was with him. He was given responsibility over others, but you know, it all depends on how you, what you emphasize. Yeah. Oh yeah, Joseph had all that he wanted. He was so good. He had this responsibility in prison. Or you could look at it this way. Yeah, you know, Joseph had responsibility in prison. Falsely accused. And then two guys get thrown in from the court of, e of Pharaoh. Uh, he talks to them, interprets their dreams. One's released. Well, they're both released, actually. One is killed and one lives and restored to his place. And before they leave, Joseph says, remember me. Would you tell Pharaoh about me? Remember, it's not Pharaoh. Why am I here? It's not true. Would you? And wouldn't you know it? It looks up. They leave. Things are looking up for Joseph, and he's forgotten. And then finally, word comes to the prison. Joseph, Pharaoh wants to see you. What? Pharaoh wants to see you. And remember, God revealed the dream to him. There were going to be a years of famine. And as he opens up the wisdom of God to Pharaoh, he becomes second in command. And we think kind of the story's over there, right? Well, look what God did. He's second in command. Yeah. Separated from his dad and his brothers and his mom and his family, his nieces, his nephews, his home. Oh, he's second in command, but it's been a hard, hard life. Just like the life some of you have lived. A hard, hard life. And hard, hard lives are not made up of years, are they? They're not made up of months. They're not made up of weeks or even days. Hard lives are lived one moment at a time. One situation at a time. Even as we're living in one of the most unprecedented, difficult times in all of our generation, you're finding things, aren't you, stacking up this and this and this and this to where you two are at a tipping point. Tensions are high. Frustrations are high. I mean, you're right on the edge. I wonder how many listening to me today have already chosen to walk away from the Lord, already cho chosen to walk away from that new It's been too hard. It's been too difficult. And then you mix in your own opinions. You mix in the unfairness of it all. You mix in the possibility of conspiracy theories and political advantages. And you look at it, you go, it's just unfair, it's unfair, it's unfair, it's unfair, it's wrong, it's wrong, it's wrong. If that's how you feel, then you understand Joseph. You understand his life. Except for Joseph, all of this came at the hands of his family. His messed up, dysfunctional, upside down family. You know, we can't all choose our families but we can choose how to respond in our families. We can't choose who adopted us, or we can't choose what family we were born into, or what foster home we came into, or what grandmother raised. We can't choose those things. Many of the choices in our life have been made for us, but we can choose how to respond. That's where Joseph is. So now, at the end, it seemed like, you know, the, Jacob and his sons, they all got that land of Goshen. They're starting to thrive. They're, everything's turning around for them. Joseph revealed himself. It's been great. They've been living it up. Fifty plus years they've been able to enjoy Egypt. Now Joseph's coming to the end of his life. Jacob is dead. Jacob's dead. Dad's gone. This would be the time. This is it. And you know, the brothers are the ones coming up with that. Joseph's not thinking about it. The Bible doesn't say he's thinking about it at all. It says the brothers are. Because unconfessed sin has a way of eating up a person. It has a way of 
destroying the inside of a person. Because think of this from the brother's perspective for a moment. They know what they did. Every moment of every day, they had to do something with it. They didn't tell their dad. You know, on top of everything they did to Joseph, look what they did to mom and dad. Coming back with his, his clothes soaked in blood. Your, your son is dead, dad. You'll never see him again. He's gone. And to think of how many times they heard their dad weep and wail. You know, for this, it ruined Jacob. This completely changed his life, the loss of his son Joseph. It completely, it, it changed him forever. And there his brothers, every one of them, had to deal with the fact that they knew the truth. That they not only, you know, this is the thing about lying. You know, you think the lie is an event. And it is. A lie is an event. But if you don't tell the truth, then you are now living the lie. And when you live a lie and you live with unconfessed sin, it grows. And the only thing you can really do is learn how to stuff it down. The only thing you can really do is how, how to harden yourself toward the cries of someone else. The only thing you can really do is, is just talk yourself out of it. No, it's not that big a deal. No, God already forgave me. I can't tell you how many times somebody will come and confess sin and they sin against another. And they go, well, God's already, well, you got to tell the other person. You got to ask them for forgiveness, like the advice of Jacob here. You got to ask for forgiveness. And they'll say, oh, no, God's already forgiven me. Hey, for true repentance, you deal with everybody. Psalm 51. You not only sin against God, but you sin against man. And so this is good advice from Jacob. Hey, you better, you better ask for forgiveness, boys. You better mean it. What you did was wrong. As we'll see in a moment, Joseph called it what it was. It was evil, wicked, these boys. This family was messed up. And after dad dies, the boys come and say, the brothers come. These are grown men, by the way. I call them boys. These are grown men with families of their own. They finally come to the place where they ask for forgiveness. They ask for forgiveness, notice, and, and see what the response was. Verse 19. Joseph said, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? He says, don't be afraid of me. I'm not God. And isn't it good sometimes just to remember, you're not God. The Bible says, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. And it's good to know that I'm not responsible. I'm not God. So everything that's happened in my life doesn't end with me. It's Father filtered. Everything that comes into your life is Father filtered. It's filtered from Him and it goes back to Him. Because there's a bigger picture of your life and mine. So He says, I'm not God. And then He says in verse 20, one of the most epic Bible passages, one of the most epic passages in all the Bible. He looks at His brothers and He says, but for you, you meant evil against me. That's true. Joseph called it what it was. He didn't minimize it. He said, what you did was evil, wicked. Not like they needed to know that, but it's always good to dwell on the truth. What you meant was evil, but notice. But God meant it for good. In order to bring it about as it is this day to save many people alive. Now, therefore, do not be afraid. I will provide for you and your little ones. And he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. This is Abounding Grace with our Bible teacher and pastor, Ed Taylor. Catch a replay at AboundingGraceRadio.com or listen through the Calvary Church app. You can search for Ed Taylor to download that today. 
depend on a train from Illinois to Texas, The Pursuit of God by A.W. Tozer has proven to be helpful to anyone longing for a deeper experience with God. This book is a modest attempt, Tozer wrote, to aid God's children so to find Him. If you're hungry, the pursuit of God will lead you to the only one who can satisfy the soul. And we'll gladly send you a copy for a donation of $25 or more to Abounding Grace. Thank you for remembering us in your prayers and giving to the Lord. Your gift, whatever the size, will serve to help us reach thousands with the message of Christ. Reach us toll free at 877-30-GRACE. Again, 877-30-GRACE. Ordering resources is easier than ever now through our e-store at calvaryco.store. That's calvaryco.store. If you'd just like to make a donation and are not interested in the pick of the month, you could just go online to AboundingGraceRadio.com. Connect with us through social media. We're on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. There's a link to each page at AboundingGraceRadio.com. We'll return to Hebrews next time out on Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. See you then. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church, Colorado, here in Aurora.